Alright, so this week, part two of our interview with the composer, mandolin player, band leader, arranger, producer, Luke Plum. It's quite the resume. From Tasmania. And um, you'll know if you listen to the first part of this, he's a thinker about the music in a way that uh, a lot of people, I, I just I just find him really uh, fascinating to listen to yeah, and to if, chat with. So If you're coming in fresh this week, hit pause, go back. Normally we wouldn't ask you, but this week, go back, have a listen to last week's episode. It's going to set you up for where we're going today. And if you don't have time to do that, I'll just give you a quick skim. <laughs> he's... he's <laughs> Luke grew up in Tasmania for the most part I think they moved there when he, he was three his family moved there and he started playing mandolin really late actually he, he started off playing classical violin from I think from the age of 12 so quite late on and he picked up the mandolin in December of 1999 I think he says and he started playing in a session uh, in January of 2000 <laughs> So uh, clearly an amazing talent unleashed like just that quickly he picked up the melody. So that's the background that we were touching on in, in part one. I just want to tell you when I was when uh, he when he did that bit, I was I was lying listening to it, and it, it, I heard September nineteen ninety nine, and then when he went to the session and I was counting on my fingers, I was gone. <laughs> two weeks, yeah, <laughs> it's like two yeah. weeks of practice, and the way you went. Got this. So, yeah. so um, that's where we're coming to in in this conversation. We're starting to talk a bit about the influence of Planksty on his playing and and his thinking, and how he kind of ends up moving into a career in making music and playing music. So, yeah, let's get into it. All right, here we go. Here's Enjoy. Luke Tom. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, it's superb. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. So, so um, um, we we sort of got down in the weeds there a bit about uh, about Nick Johns and um, it's interesting that you mentioned his influence on Planksty because I mean Planksty and Andy Irvin in particular have a, a big influence on your own style of playing. Do you know what it was about Andy Irvin's style of playing that that hooked you? What was it? Um, I think. Uh, let me think. I think first of all, there's the sound of the mandolin and the bouzouki playing together, mm-hmm. and that's I mean that's you know that's just gold. Um, in the same way that, uh, but to a much, um, you know, it, it's gold for me. In the same way as uh, when I listen to Dudana Records, the sound of the fiddle in the box is incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's and there's there's particular kind of sounds that when you match them together they just sound great you know they're close but they're not the same and so they kind of they just work really brilliantly yeah um so i think first of all is just the sound um and the second thing was that uh um all the movement made it really exciting and I'm, i'm i'm talking about you know when i when i was little um uh i always um Every time that the Raggle Taggle Gypsies would come on, it would always, I mean, like I, I have that mem- that kind of you know early early memory, but I but I I just I just remember, it would come on and within you know a bar of da da you know da 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 yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I wherever I was in the house, run straight into the living room where the record player was. And and sit and listen, you know, and kind of kind of hang out waiting for it, you know. I, I it's, uh, it's really it's it's funny to to me as well. Like I have the exact same memory, not the dancing around, but the the exact same memory of those opening phrases of that that version yeah. of those songs that is absolutely imprinted on my brain. Um, uh, if anybody thinks I'm making that up, they just have to go back to episode 43 or something because I think I talk <laughs> about it in there. But um, it's um, uh, and and out of all the players in there, well, you know, between Donald Lunny and Andy Irvin, I, I've always been drawn to Andy Irvin, and I don't know why exactly. Yeah. I find it hard to put my finger on what it was about his playing. But you're right, you're right about the, there's something about the the also for me the the articulate sound of of a pick on on lots of strings in in yeah. un, that that are just fitting together perfectly it's just yeah it's exquisite it's like yeah I, I i was thinking about it today you know the um there's something about it as well um you know in in my memory like i can i can bring i can bring that that opening line straight to straight to mind um and and th- there's actually a lot about those first two records, which I got on CD. Um, I, I like I bought them on CD, the, just about the first CDs I bought. Um, and uh, and I th- I think there's there is something in the way that those guys play as well, um, uh, where there's and this is I mean this is you know talk about weeds like this is <laughs> this is in the roots of the weeds. Um, there's something almost, almost like a hammered dulcimer about it, and and what I mean by the hammered dulcimer is, it sounds like something being um, 
like almost um, almost like it's being struck rather than rather than just the pick on the string. Like it, there's something different about it. Um, I was trying to think, you know, is it a rhythm thing? Is it that they're playing really straight in that beginning? You know, da 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 da. But, but it's it's not that. It's that there's this kind of um, uh, yeah. It, it. I, I mean, I've, I've I've sat next to Andy Irvine playing, you know, a bunch and watched him a whole bunch more. Mm-hmm. And there's and there's a lot of. He actually digs in, you know, like hits those. He hits the strings, you know, yeah, to to get that sound. And I think there's something about that kind of. Um, I'm saying this, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, tapping my hand against the air as though it was hitting a wall. And it's like boom, 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 kind of quite. Um, uh, yeah, like there's there's the sound of impact um, on 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 each of those plectrum hits, which you which might might also be something to do with the recording of it, but um, but but there's there's a there's an urgency about it that isn't rushed, that's just like you know, almost like it sounds like they're excited and can't wait, you know. Well, I, I, like uh, um, not to belabor the point, but I do feel uh, with the opening of a track like that, and it it doesn't matter if it's. It doesn't matter if it's that or if it's Willie Nelson singing "Ain't It Funny How Time Slips Away" or who. It doesn't matter what it is. There's certain moments in music that just have this feeling of destiny about them. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I, I I was going to say um, uh, earlier, like it's for for me, it was like um, uh, you know initially hearing. There's something about the opening sound of the electric guitar and jumping Jack Flash, which is just like, you know, right. that's the sound of, of of revolution or something. Uh-huh. You know? It's like ding, you know, like it kind of, it the the sound arrives, you know. <laughs> um. Yeah, and and actually, um, I was watching. Um, you know, have you have you seen that thing, um, Line Riders? You know, this little animated. Um, no, there's a, it's a little animated thing. I was watching it with the kids, where there's a, there's these um, little figures on sleds and they're sleds, and they're they're sliding down these lines in time to um, oh yeah pieces of music. Yeah, that, yeah. So if you seen yeah. it online. Yeah. So and I was we were watching um, the first movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony with them the other yeah, day. Exactly the same. And it yeah. and it was just it was so exciting. They were like, what? I mean this. Uh, and you don't get much more of a sense of destiny than that either, you know. No, those. no. <laughs> um, so no. for yourself, then um, you're picking up the mandolin, you're playing in the session, and um, you're busking around Hobart, I guess. Yeah. And so, yeah. so, so, how do things get to the point where suddenly um, you're not busking around Hobart? You're thinking, oh, I could, I could make a go of this. Um. Yeah, not not until I got asked to make a go of it. <laughs> <laughs> so what um, happened? Yeah, well, uh, so grade eleven and twelve is is the beginning of the summer holidays. Going into grade eleven is when um, uh, is when I um, when I started playing. Uh, then I played. Um, you know, I had a little uh, group, and then a fella I played with. Um, from school in grade 11 and 12. Um, I started traveling to folk festivals 
in grade 12 and um, playing a bunch with various people. I started playing a bit with Tim Whelan and Bartley O'Donnell in um, in Adelaide. I don't know. If, if, did you ever come across those guys? No, no. Tim Tim's um, Tim's back in Ireland now. He's uh, his his dad, Tim Senior, came out was a uh, uh, was a huge guy in the in the South Australian Irish music scene. His brother John, as well, accordion player, was uh, a bit of a stalwart over there. But Tim's back over. He was he kind of introduced me to Paddy Canny, uh, like you know the music and um, and East Clare East Clare music, which is probably you know. Like that, that kind of really kind of struck home um, for me. So he's back over there in Bartley. Bartley's from um, where is he from? Uh, well, Galway anyway, but on the border of Galway and, and Clare. Right. Two great, great fiddle players. Um, so I, I was playing with a bunch of a uh, bunch of people sessions, um, but I was at uni wanting to be a you know become a history teacher. And you're studying uh, classics. I was studying classics, yeah. Uh, And then uh, kind of, when would it have been? No, it was was in November, um, late November 2001. uh, I was busking and a pal of mine who used to run the Signet Folk Festival, Chip Wardale, he used to busk as well. And he said, oh, there's this guy coming around. There's a band coming to, band from Scotland coming to, um, signet next January, you know, a couple of months. Uh, might be looking for a mandolin player, you know. If you're around here later on, I'll introduce you to him. And uh, so I, you know, kind of finished for the day, was wandering back up and um, uh, and I met Conrad, the bass player from the Shugles, and um, I'd never heard of them. And This is Shugle uh, Nifty, I should say. Sh- yeah, sh- yeah. Sh- Shugle Nifty, yeah. And I had never heard of them. I think, I think Conrad was a little bit put out that um, I wasn't treating him as, you know, quite as famously as you might have hoped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Conrad from Sugar Lifty. I was like, hi, Conrad from Sugar Lifty. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah. So we just kind of, um, he kind of went into the big spiel, you know. And I and I said, yeah. Um, sorry, I've, I've never actually heard you guys. Like, what what kind of music is it? <laughs> Um, anyway, to which, and, uh, to which came the reply? To which it's like, oh, um, you know, at that stage, Conrad, you have to understand, Conrad was about to quit the band, so he's like, oh, it's jigs and reels, <laughs> right, 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 um, jigs and reels, and uh, you know, and you know, a rhythm section or something. So, so how would you, um, so how would you describe what what Sugar Nifty represents? What 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 it does? Yeah, um, like musically, yeah. Um, musically, it's what happens when um, people who've been to, you know, dance clubs, and that's what all those guys were doing, say, actually, we can do this with, with our own music. Yeah. Like, that's it at its core. Like, modern dance music for trad Scottish tunes. And then if you take that and inject like all of the stuff, you know, James taught himself how to play the drums listening to The Clash. Gary was, Gary taught English as a, you know, in like Rwanda or something, you know, so like 
big kind of into African music. Malcolm grew up playing in kind of King Crimson copy bands. You, you know what I mean? Yep, like, yep. So we've got this kind of the weird loping, you know, African thing on a weird sounding banjo. We've got some pretty kind of prog weird guitar. We've got punk rock and dance drumming. And then Angus, who's like, you know, who is, <laughs> there's, there's me, um, Angus, who was seventh of his name or whatever, fiddle player, you know, like as kind of in the tradition as, as you could imagine, but who also left it behind and went to, you know, punk gigs. There's a whole bunch of kind of various influences that feed into trad tunes done for raves. Yeah. And so then, so from your own point of view, you go along to see them, presumably? and No, it was worse than that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Conrad, Conrad kind of came round. Um, he, he spent half the time that he was with me. Um, he came around for an afternoon. So, and so, so Conrad he, and... and um, Conrad was the bass player. The bass player, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he was in Tasmania because he'd married a woman who was originally from Australia and her mum was from Hobart and he was out on honeymoon and the band was about to start a tour in January. So he came round, he wanted to sing me his songs and tell me about his videos that he'd been making. Um, <laughs> and then he left me uh, three CDs and said, uh, look, we'll be in touch. And, um, you know, in January, I got an email saying, hi, sorry, we haven't been in touch. We're, you know, this is on Monday. Um, we're, we're flying in on um, Thursday or something. Here's the set list. You know, come and meet us. Right. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I learned the, I learned the set and, um, I had to dig all the new material. Uh, like there was, most of it was off a new record, which I hadn't been given, but I could, I, uh, I actually downloaded illegally off Napster, kind of the first pirating aye, aye. site that you could find. Um, so I got as many of them off as I could and I, you know, I think I even caught the bus up to Launceston or something where they were flying into. It was on the Wednesday. And um, met them at the airport and uh, they kind of said, you know, so do you want to, like, get up for the encore or anything? I was like, oh, no, I, like, I learnt the set. And um, Angus, Angus and I hit it off really well straight up. Um and uh, he taught me the tunes that weren't on any albums. And this is Angus. I got up, Angus Grant, Angus the, Grant, the fiddle right. player. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, it's I mean, I, I got up and played the whole gig with them, and they booked the flights for the rest of the Australian tour after that. Right. So um, it sounds kind of exciting. Yeah. It's it's kind of I mean it's weird I uh, I. Like and, and this is this is one this is one of those you know. I kind of had like when 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 Chip said there's a guy here and they're looking for a mandolin player. Um, I I had one of those you know the kind of, okay yeah they're gonna I'm gonna join this band. Um, like it was just like it was a done thing, um, in my mind like you know I had one of those what my nana would call I had a feeling. <laughs> 
Um, and and so like it actually, it wasn't a. It's really weird. Like it's really weird, you know, to think about it now because I've, I've, you know, I haven't been with the band for ten years, in any functional way. Um, not quite that much, but, um, but yeah, I. I right from the get go, I, I, it, it just seemed like a done thing that I was going to be in this band it's really we it's really weird um but that you know i mean that's what happened and that and that takes you to scotland right so so you end up yeah yeah I, I dropped out of uni my before my i dropped out of uni the week before my final exams and um, the week before ah oh, you I break know, your parents heart yeah <laughs> i know you cruel cruel man i know <laughs> um it was an arts degree in classics come on like well, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott Morrison, it's not worth much. Their, their expectations were probably were probably well. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, no, I, I uh, and and the the reason for that was there was a gig at the um, in Hyde in Hyde Park, <clears throat> and I you know I wanted to go and play Hyde Park. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I flew I flew over. Um, the band hadn't actually told me that they wanted me to join. They'd said, really in classic sugar nifty fashion, they'd kind of beat around the bush. Um, so I mean, like, I think the most I got was, "Oh, so you write tunes, do you? Yeah, 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 I write a lot of tunes. Oh, yeah, that'd be really handy. We're down. The mandolin player used to write a lot of tunes as well. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it'd be great if you were in Scotland." <laughs> And and that was it, um, but I I, dro- <laughs> I dropped everything and and went and um, and then yeah just started the thing. And w- were you based in Edinburgh? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Whereabouts? Um, uh, I had I had twelve addresses in ten years, uh-huh. which is the life um, of a musician. Yeah, isn't right. it? <laughs> Um, says says me yeah, who's I, not a musician, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's a life of a radio um, producer too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was mostly in the old town. Yeah. Um, I spent a little bit of time down in Leith. I spent a little bit of time down in the borders. Um, I mean, the borders, like you know, twenty minutes south of Edinburgh. Yeah, and, and were you gigging like Shiggle Nifty? You know, when I was in Scotland, you know, you, you were pretty regular name that you I mean you would kind of um I'd see you around Some, a lot. Summers were been summers were busy. Yeah. Summers were really busy. Um we'd do maybe four months of the year would be you know, on average three nights a week. And the rest of it was probably, you know, little bits and pieces dotted here, dotted there. Um So how do you keep UK, life and soul together in that? Like earn yeah earn money, yeah. I I don't drink and I don't smoke. Right. <laughs> um, I I I ended up I mean I mean I did I did you know a couple of weekly sessions. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean like I, I'm I'm not an expensive fella. Where know? was that in in Sandy Bells or? Um, I used to, my flatmate used to um, used to do the session. In Bells on Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Sunday night, and frequently on Tuesday. 
Um, so I was in Bell's. I used to be in Bell's for the first couple of years. I was in Bell's maybe six nights a week. Right. And two afternoons. And then I did a session with that um, fiddle player, Catherine Nickel, incredible fiddle player, um, d- just doing Irish music down in Leith. Um, and then myself and Angus had a session out in Burnham um, for about seven years. Um, we used to get the train on Mondays and head out to Perthshire to Burnham, yeah. do the session there and then stay the night in the big hotel there. Nice. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah. The, a guy, uh, Alex Finley, ran the uh, ran the place and um, used to treat us really well. And and Sandy Bells, so for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's a pl- probably plenty of people that aren't familiar with it. How would you describe yeah. Sandy Bells? I mean, it's a... It was the Sandy Bells is, is is has been and is still the hub of traditional music in Edinburgh, um, and is the kind of I mean I, I used to get a call a good friend of mine Kevin McLeod, um, you know Alec Finn used to come over for for holidays to see Kevin who used to be the tour manager for Didanon mm-hmm. that's the that's the connection. He used to say, oh, Alec's in town, you know, I've called John Martin from um, the Tannehill Weavers and uh, John was also in the, the Easy Club and the uh, the Scottish um, band Oisin, not the Irish band, mm-hmm. um, Oisin. Great fiddle player, old school. And so, yeah, you know, fire into Bells and Bells is where you'd go on a Tuesday afternoon to have a quiet session. Um you know, anybody who was in town would go to Bell's. Um, uh, yeah, and I had I had a couple of other ones that kind of came and went. Yeah. So sessions, very, very occasionally playing other gigs with other people, but um, a lot of time just doing sessions and then away with the band um, and writing writing music, you know, and, and just playing. And recording. Yeah, yeah, we did... Um, with the band we did while I was there three studio albums and I did a lot of work on a live album tidying up a live album yeah um, I did two records with Angus and um, Pete Daffy from over here um, as the funky string band it was a band me and Peter had you know before I left Um. And I did a couple of other records with Angus as well. And did you uh, did you uh, um, did you enjoy gigging with that I kind of it. band? I mean, that's a that's a full on. It it's it's a full on thing. Yeah, high energy band. It's not. Yeah, yeah. the the. Um, I think I I I I. Uh, I don't want to kind of wax lyrical about myself, you know, like at all. Um, and I haven't thought about it too much, but um, I think with that band, I really, I really wanted, uh, or I played the gigs for the, the moments that you get where, and I'd actually get them, you know, like I'd get a tingle in the back of my neck. I don't know if you've ever seen that that film um, about uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart plays Glenn Miller, the Glenn Miller Glenn story. Glenn Miller story. Yeah, you know that film. Uh-huh. And and Glenn Miller's wife, like every time he had a tune that was going to be a hit, she used to feel it in the back of her neck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it just came to me then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I used to get that. There, there would be a couple of bits where you'd go, you know, four bars where it was just 
all six things were just were just just landed nailed it you know um, and I, I used to I used to love going through the gig waiting for those moments yeah audience audience you know who cares about the audience they could, <laughs> they could be in another room as far as I was concerned but but to get it where it to get it where it would just you know where it all just landed right like yeah yeah. That's the <laughs> and and when you're when you were recording with them, I mean, um, I, I'm wondering about like uh, how are you starting to f- um, find a voice for yourself in terms as a player. Um, yeah, uh, I I don't know. I I I just I just played, um, you know, played how played how I wanted wanted to play really. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I used to play a lot with Angus and, and we were, um, you know, there, there was a time where we were doing three nights on the, on the road with the band and, and three sessions and he was, he, he lived with me for a year, um, took the box room in a flat I had, um, and, oh, the uh, Edinburgh box room. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yikes! Yeah, no windows, just a door. No just windows. Door. Yeah, just the door. Yeah. yeah, and I say, you know, like he lived with with me. He he had a change of clothes there and a pair of shoes, <laughs> and occasionally you'd come home and it'd be Angus, you know, oh, a cup of tea, yeah, oh, the Angus, yeah, you're back. Um, but uh, yeah, so so really, we were looking for us playing together as being this kind of you know, this little unit. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, and, and that's all I really thought about. I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I was ever really conscious about, you know, where's my little piece of the action going to be and what's it going to look like? Um, you know, in terms of the sound, it was just, no, you play the tunes, you know, I, I was more, more interested in, um, actually, uh, more interested in the production as far as the recordings were concerned, because mm-hmm. the the three that we worked on, um, uh, you know, while I was part of the band, I, myself and uh, the bass player and James the drummer, um, bass player was Queen MacArthur, and um, and the drummer James McIntosh. We did a lot of work, you know. Once all the parts are down, then like huge amounts of work on, you know, oh, let's, this little bit here and this little, we're going to put effects on these individual notes so they'll just kind of ping out and, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. That that was that was more, you know, um, more, more, the, more the kind of the focus for me. Yeah. So uh, um, why did you decide to come back to Australia? Um, basically... Uh, and this is, this is this is again really odd. Um, I did that to, and stick with me. <laughs> yeah, go on. I did the I did the I did the tour in January with the, with the band in two thousand two, and towards the end of it, I was feeling really bad, like ill. Um, then, uh, then I did the national. They asked me to join. I said, "Yeah, I'm going to come over." I did the national that year, two thousand two, and I stayed in Edin- uh, stayed in Canberra for two weeks, I think, afterwards to do a record with 
Kate Burke and Ruth Hazelton um, called Swapping Seasons. And I was getting really crook. No, and I got before the national. I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, um, "Actually, I got tests done, and then went to the national, and then stayed on in Canberra." And the doctor went, "You're really ill. You need to come home." I said, "Well, I'm not coming home just yet. Tell me." And he said, "Well, if X Y Z happens, you need to go to A and E immediately." Right. And basically, um, my uh, my my liver was crashing, uh, and I was twenty one and kind of <laughs> liver crashing, you know, <laughs> as if that matters. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and so I, you know, like I didn't fly home immediately. <laughs> I stayed on. No, I'm going to party the hell out of this. Um, and did the record, um, came back and they did all the tests and everything and they said, yeah, look, you're in really bad shape. I said, well, I'm due to fly overseas. I, j- I just said, I've got a trip overseas. How long are you going to be gone for? Oh, you know, oh, a few weeks. Um, and he said, well, I can't advise, I, I can't recommend that you do it until your, you know, blood work or whatever is back to normal. I got it back to normal in time. I flew over there, and uh, but you know, like I was, I was being very foolish and not taking the medication and all of that stuff. And basically, um, you know, my my liver was cactus from then, an autoimmune um, thing. You know, I'd never drunk alcohol, but I certainly didn't, you know, afterwards. Um, so the whole time that I was in the Shugles. Uh, I was periodically in the hospital as well. Right. Um, and it got to a point where, um, where it was just it was getting ridiculous. And I I said to the band that I needed I needed to take a couple of months and kind of get home and just rest and get well. And en route, um, I I had a, a record to make in Seattle. Um, so I flew, you know, Edinburgh, Seattle, Seattle back home and in Seattle, I crashed. I was in a hospital there for three weeks with, uh, with Legionnaire's disease and my lung got, you know, kind of like trashed. Um, so anyway, I arrived back home. I was like, I came back, did, you know, coming back to Scotland for the summers, um, but in the end, it was just I'm just too I'm just too sick, you know. Um, and and so it ended up I I just said, look, sorry, fellas, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. That was it, you know. Um, so w- um, when you're going through such a long period of sort of recurring illness, I mean, where's your head at? Um. Yeah, um, uh, just like just get on with it. I mean, really, really. I I I wrote an album. I wrote the the the, the second album we did with the Shugles. It's called Truths. I think I wrote kind of you know seven of the ten tracks on it, or six and a half of the ten tracks, and uh, I wrote wrote them all in hospital. Um, but- actually, I found. I found some manuscript books um, 
I've just been setting up a kind of a work area for me. Like I've got manuscript books full of music that that I that I wrote while I was in hospitals. It's weird. I mean, it's weird looking at it and going, "Oh wow." You know, Downey Browns. Yeah, I remember him. He was a paratrooper who, you know, caned his liver in the um in the Falklands, you know, like all of these kind of <laughs> people you met you know, in the tunes, hospital. Tunes named after named after people I met in the hospital. I completely forgot about. That. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, it's um, a really. Um, I, I I'm wondering, like, as somebody who studied the classics as well, I mean, you. I, I mean, I guess I'm wondering about you know you're you're a young guy. Are you are you thinking at some point, fuck, this is it? Uh, well, yeah. The the first year that I was away, um, I cr- I, uh, so I I went over there. Um, in May, I think, 2002. We toured Port Ferry Circuit in 2003 and then I went back after that and I think I had two weeks or something and I went to hospital um, and the ho- like the hospital staff f- completely freaked out um, and I got put, like within 24 hours I was on the transplant list but then it was, well, you're not here on a work permit you're here on a working holiday. We don't know if we can give you one. And, I mean, it was really, really bad news. I mean, really bad news. I was 22. Um, and, uh, you know, a million miles away from... I didn't... I, I, you know, and this is, this is where I was still getting, um, you know, emails and stuff from the local internet cafe. Yeah. Which is, which is weird, you know, 2003... Seriously, you know, I, I didn't have a mobile phone. I zero c- connection. Um, you know, it was just so different. So, uh, so I was phoning. Uh, Mum and Dad were phoning me um, using, you know, international call cards, and I mean, it was just hell, total hell. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I did a bunch of kind of. Now, come on, you know, if this is it, then. You know, you 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 made a record with with the band. There's there's plenty of great stuff, and if it's not it, um, then you fucking better live. You know, <laughs> um, and 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 it wasn't it. You know, yeah. I mean, so um, I th- I think there's a there's a uh. I think that probably has fed into, and and this is this is really genuine. Um, like it's not glib when I say uh, playing with the band, the audience, you know, may or may not have been there. Obviously, it's great to have the energy of of, of a crowd that's really enjoying it, or the the kind of feeling of satisfaction of playing to a crowd who have no idea what you're doing, but who are loving it by the end of it. Which we which we had a. Um, you know, we, we when whenever we went to a place that wasn't of kind of Anglo background, you know, touring in deepest darkest Mexico or whatever, and these these you know the the audience going, you know, what the, what the hell is this at the beginning, um, and at the end of it, oh no no it's it's music to have a fun time to, yeah. oh yeah we 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 know, we know what that is yeah um, that okay so so that kind of relationship with an audience is really important, but. Um, uh, but for me, it was really, actually, you know, 
when it comes down to it, it's uh, it just became about the music, you know, like really just became about the music. Um, and I, I I think that has that kind of perspective on uh, on all of this uh, has come about in in a in a in a big way because I've I've now. Um, like that, that time in 2003 was really bad. That was the first really bad, like you might die. Um, but in 2010 in Seattle, uh, like I flatlined and they, you know, they brought me back. Um, and I flatlined again. I flatlined again in Melbourne the year after I went into a coma, um, ate some bad cheese and, you know, got, (laughs) got Brain damage. Bad cheese, and bad cheese will do it for you. <laughs> um, and then the same again. Uh, uh, like the, the, you know, just to just to kind of finish the health stuff. Um, they cut out most of my digestive system. They cut out most of my left lung. Um, and you know, knock knock. Uh, I'm I'm pretty stable at the moment. Um, but during the lung operation, like it was really bad news. My heart exploded and you know kind of various i mean it was really bad um the pulmonary artery exploded and right. and kind of um they had to open up the heart and a bunch of i mean a bunch of bad bad stuff um so yeah it it's it's like no nah, the the uh you know th- there is a real perspective about kind of you play music that like music to me is is a really um well the the act of performing music or uh or listening to to music is a really kind of you know probably the closest i get to spiritual thing um and uh uh that and kind of um well anyway that'll do <laughs> okay, yeah. go on come on well, no, I, I, I think, um, I think there's, a, there's the only other thing that I'll, uh, you know, that I would want to say about the, um, you know, what, uh, what, being in the band at that time and being really crook and kind of looking down mortality, um, the, 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 the thing that kind of, like another takeaway. Is that we used to we used to travel quite a lot to, um, you know, to places that were unfamiliar, culturally, um, and inevitably, uh, either our music would connect with people or the music of other people would connect with with me, um, you know, and and the band, but um, that would connect with me, and you could through music within about 10 minutes feel like you intimately knew people and you you know and they were uh like it's it's a really it's a really efficient way of cutting through all of the all of the claptrap and saying hey man like we're we're friends eh you know when 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 you play with people yeah um and uh i and i I've, I've said this i've said this to people so many times the probably the most important thing that ever happened during the the whole you know Shugles thing, was playing in Borneo. In two thousand seven, at the uh, there's a festival that happens in the rainforest there, 
World Music Festival and the Shugles played, um, Australia had just or or had recently committed troops to Afghanistan, um, as had Britain, and I found myself every night sitting outside at the pool at the big hotel that we were ramshackle old hotel that we were um, all staying at, all the artists. And there was a band from playing old time, you know, hillbilly music from America, the Foghorn um, String Band. And me and Caleb, the mandolin player, we played all night with James, the drummer, and sometimes Angus, but so a Brit, um, an American, Australian, playing with the fellas from Afghanistan. And we did it every night from kind of midnight until eight in the morning. And went for a swim in the pool together, had some fruit for breakfast, went and had a sleep and then got up and went out to the festival every night for about six days. Um, and and that's like, you know, that stuff's big stuff, I reckon, you know, and kind of, <laughs> you know, that's that's uh, that's the stuff you focus on when you when you stared, uh, stared the reaper down, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um would you would you play or sing something for us? Oh yeah, gee. Are you doing okay for time? I, Are you okay? Do you need? To, yeah, yeah. You don't need to run away yeah. to your bed yet. I, 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 no, no. All right. Um, Is there something, something to do yeah. with dying? <laughs> something to do with dying or not dying? Yes, yes. I, I've got a perfect one. <laughs> this is great. This is the Grateful Dead. It's not actually. It's um. Uh, the Grateful Dead did um, uh, Pretty Peggy. Yeah. You know that song? Uh-huh. Uh, I'll do that. As we rolled down to Fenerio If 
he heard my guineas clink Saw me at the head of the army If ever I return, pretty Peggy You had a tea break? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, well, I guess your mum and dad were glad to get you back home, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, they, they <laughs> I, I put them through hell. <laughs> I mean, real, yeah. Well, yeah. you didn't, I mean, you didn't ask to have a bad liver. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, but so no, so so when you get back here, um, did you have a firm idea of what you were what you were going to try and do musically, or were you yeah. really just yeah, totally? Yeah. Um, I'd been uh, I shared a flat with a guy called Toby Shippy for about four years in Edinburgh, off and on. Um, he runs a band called Salsa Celtica. 
don't know if you've come I across do. those guys. Yeah, 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 I have, yeah. Yeah, so he used to come back from whatever he was doing and I'd come back from whatever I'd been doing and we'd have a cup of tea and he'd get out his trumpet and I'd get the mandolin and we used to, you know, play through tunes, um, you know, slow tunes basically, old um, old Scottish tunes. And I really liked the idea of the mandolin and the trumpet. Um this would have been about 2009, and I started, um, again, I've kind of, I've, I've been decompressing a lot of packed up stuff um, and found diaries, you know, and I've, I'm writing these these notes of uh, what the mandolin and trumpet sound could be. Um, and uh, when, when, I, when I got back, um, I'd met Eamon McNellis, a uh, great trumpet player in Melbourne, and uh, it was in a band called Flap. If you ever came across them, um, and uh, and I thought, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this this mandolin um, trumpet um, album. I'm gonna do it with him. And I'd had a kind of when I was in Edinburgh, I'd, and I'd written down in in one of these diaries, kind of describing the gig. I kind of I I imagined the gig that would have a mandolin and a trumpet in it and the rest of the band and the kind of gig it was. And so I set about, uh, you know, kind of working on that, um, uh, which ended up being the, uh, the circuit record turn and return. Yeah. Um, that had, from 2018. Was it? Yeah. Okay. So I always thought it was, was less time than that, but that's a long, that's like nine years of sitting on it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so was, was have I got the year right? Sorry, I think so. Was it twenty eighteen? Think you might. Yeah, I, I I think so. Um, I well, I, it's I was pretty. Tinkering. So it's a pretty fascinating sound, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's, uh, um, it's bold, right? That yeah, that first track particularly, it's bold and it's like and it's uh, and it's it's a. It's very catchy as well, I have to say. Yeah, oh, Which good. I mean, as a high compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I had I had that kind of, that was always on the boil. Another project that I'm still working on, I was thinking about, um, which was uh, music for people, people to fall asleep to. Um, <laughs> not a great driving track. Um <laughs> And uh, and a few other things about about kind of um, I really wanted to to um, to kind of um, share you know that sounds so kind of you know naff but um, kind of this uh, yeah well I've I've had in extraordinary opportunities to be able to play and learn music off people from all around the world you know backstage at the festivals that we'd played at um and uh and that that had been really formative for me and a really important part of being in 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 the band and I wanted to um you know let's start playing music you know from from everywhere as a kind of a um uh I don't know um it's all the same, you know. Like there's there's so many so many things that are that are shared. Like the the waltz rhythm, the three four rhythms in um, 
in Afghanistan that move, in, in fact, in all of Persian music, where they move between, you know, what we'd call jig rhythm to 3-4 constantly, mm-hmm. you know, from, from bar to bar, which they also do in South America. You know, mm-hmm. like th- there's no way that um, that th- there was, you know, cross-pollination happening there, like no way at all. <laughs> um, and yet, like people come up with the same stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, Bobby McFerrin does this great thing where he kind of he sits, gets up and stands, and here I am, and I'm, you know, I want you to sing this note that's where I'm standing, and then he jumps up, you know, jumps to the left, and that's the next note, a tone, jumps up again, another tone, goes backwards, and 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 everybody around the world gets it, you know, the pentatonic scale, like mm-hmm. everybody understands, you know. Um, so I, I wanted to to do stuff around that. Um, and I, I got a band together called Triptico. We played the national one year and I've been teaching world music orchestra. Um, you know, basically just a big community music group, one in Victoria, one down here. Right. Um, for that end, like I, I, yeah, I, I had lots of, um, lots of, uh, kind of plans. Um, and you have, and, and you mentioned way back, um, when we started chatting that, that you have a do you have one child or yeah yeah I've got a a little five year old girl right. Eugenie um, my wife has two boys as well that are mm-hmm. uh, significantly older they're in their they're in their teens right yeah um, so so how is the um, how is the music and family life kind of marriage <laughs> yeah um, I mean it like it's 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 challenging um but you know, I do a lot of work. Uh, a lot of recording work happens at home. Um, you know, so I, I've I've been kind of super flexible um, in my working hours. Yeah. Uh, you know, working. It's pretty you know, great to be able to stuff. do that, right? It it's pretty handy. It's pretty handy. Um, and the other thing is, you know, like I was crook up until only only probably a couple of years ago. Um. You know, the, the, making the circuit record was the first big thing that I'd undertaken where it was going to be, you know, like me doing it, you know. Um, I'd made records, a, a bunch of records for other people in the in the interim, um, but... As a producer. You know, yeah, uh, producer and engineering. And, um, uh, but the, the circuit was the first of the, of my projects. Um so that's kind of dovetailed um with uh, with Eugenie you know going to 3 days a week and now full time in school right and uh, uh, when when you um are coming to the the end of a project like the turn return album is there a moment where you know you're finished or is is it just like okay if I tinker with this anymore I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out one cocktail stick and the whole thing is gonna collapse? You know <laughs> yeah. <what> I, mean? <laughs> um, I I think my my um, uh, my my approach to all of my own projects and when people ask me to you know to to do a record for them and they don't really have the finished thing in mind you know like some some records that you make 
the band comes, they've rehearsed all the material, they just want to do it and then maybe add a couple of little things for colour, you know, to differentiate the, the tracks from each other, you know, um, have a bit of um, variety. Um, those aside, if, if people come and say, I want to do, uh, you know, I want to do an album, I've got a bunch of songs, don't know what to do with them. I think, uh, I think having a core kind of idea of the thread, the musical thread that's going to go throughout everything. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's really useful. It's not necessarily important and you must have it, but it's a really useful way of kind of, you know, if you distilled the album at the end down to its core parts, what would you have? Um, and then... Uh, so I always, I always start with that. With, with Turn and Return, I knew that I wanted... Um, uh, fronted by mandolin and trumpet and fronted in the kind of way that electric guitars would front a rock and roll band Um, Uh then maybe adding you know kind of harmony because you know the sound of 16 strings was the name of one of my um, workshops at uh, Zookfest in New Mexico you know Planksy the sound of 16 strings um (laughs) I taught I them the just black album. The Irvins, just on the Irvins <laughs> album, um, yeah, yeah. instrument. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I, I wanted that. I wanted two guitars um, doing basically um, Keith Richards on Street Fighting Man and Cretan lute players, you know, really driving. Um, or uh, Mo Tucker from the Velvet Underground, the drummer from the Velvet Underground right. on, a gu- on a guitar. You know, that kind of like just throbbing, simple and throbbing, uh, and then a kind of a funky rhythm section, double bass and um, and guitar, so uh, and drums. So there's your, bam. There's the that's the sound of the record, um, and then you listen to it and go, okay, on this particular track at this particular moment, you know, it comes to the chorus and it kind of you know the parts leave it a bit thin, so then you add in something else, you know, very, very low volume, heavily distorted guitar in stereo. So you can't hear it, but you take it away and it's missing something, you know, Mm -hmm. all all of that stuff. So you're back Um, to the Dedan and Shimmer there, right? Yeah, yeah. Not the Dedan and Shimmer, Uh, the 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 Unfinished Unfinished Symphony. Symphony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It it, it goes in there. um, On on a lot of records, actually, I I get a... um, uh, When something's missing... Either put something in, down, um, you know, like like power chords, basically, but just gently strummed um, and record them twice so that you've got kind of this wall underneath, you know, drum, 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 drum. Or the same kind of thing up really high, you know, uh, capoed up way up on the, on the, um, on the neck. Yeah. Um, th- those, those sorts of things like, okay, you have your core sound, and if there's holes, then you fill them. Um, and doing it that way, like you fill the holes, and the holes are filled, and okay, there we are, it's done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there, there's. A, I, I'm curious about the the um, the distance between sort of building an engine like that. And then actually taking the trip, do you know what I mean? 
You mean difference between album and live, or yeah, I guess yeah, um, album and live, and also, also just you know you're building this machine. Um, how do you keep the how do you keep the heartbeat in there? You know what I mean? Like how do you how does it not become just a machine with lots of moving parts, but something that still feels like it has a um, a soul, a heartbeat, some blood. You know what I mean? Like, wh- wh- how do you how do you get a record not to sound sterile? I yeah, I guess. <laughs> the uh, yeah yeah the, yeah yeah. That's a, that's a very it's a much quicker way of asking the, the very long yeah. question. I was no, kind that, of that, fumbling right. towards in the dark there. Yeah, um, I think uh, yeah, it, that, that's that's really. Um, that's re- I, actually, I think that just comes down to you know whether or not you can manage performances in you know in in front of a microphone, uh-huh. um, and by other by by the people who are playing as well. Yeah, like, you mean like yeah, just- like that, that's I, I re- and I, and I've I've said this you know um, a bunch you know while we're recording, um, you know like pr- production is kind of eighty percent therapy. You know, like it's just. You, you 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 kind of and and not therapy but like managing the psychology of of people with their instrument in front of a microphone because uh-huh. um, you want it to sound relaxed and you want it to sound energetic at the same time and you want it to sound accurate um, but not you, you know not executed um, there's <laughs> there's a whole there's a whole bunch of of kind of the balancing act of being able to say this is serious, but chill out and have some fun. Um, yeah, well, it's it's fa- it's fascinating because as well, like um, as a you know, as anybody who has tried to record themselves will know, like the minute you start recording, everything is a thousand times more difficult, and yeah, and and every mistake is is going to turn up <laughs> right yeah. on cue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, it's the opposite of a gig where ah, oh, it'll be all right at the gig, you know. It's like, no, it won't be all right in the recording. <laughs> <clears throat> it's going to be there forever. And what's more, if you don't fix it, yeah, I mean, this is this is me speaking about like radio things. It's just you know, like a radio doc or something. You know, you kind of think, yeah. if you don't fix this, every time you listen to this for the rest of your life, you're going to hear that one bad fade. Or that yeah, one, yeah, totally. you know, that one misplaced, slightly <laughs> misplaced beat in the music, or the light, you know, just yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's yeah, fascinating. No, I, so, and, and yeah. do you do you actually enjoy that part of it? You know, the managing the pl- managing the players in a sense. You yeah, know? I, 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 um, I guess I th- that's. I guess that's. It becomes the key thing becomes having players who you, who you love and you know. Yeah, there's there's. Um, uh the the really bad the, the the really bad experiences are where people haven't bothered to do any work before they arrive and then it's just a struggle and they're getting frustrated because it doesn't sound any good and it doesn't sound any good because they haven't done any work to make it sound good so those cases aside um and that's not that freq- frequent you know really but Occasionally, it's like, you know, really, you, you should have. Why don't you book me in five days' time and just go home and practice? You know, um, uh, and you know, okay, so we got to make the best of this, but this is going to be this is going to be a hard work day. 
aside from those where it's, you know, that's just a struggle and everybody struggles. Aside from that, no, it's really, really great, particularly when you have um, people who are really nervous uh, because they've had bad experiences or because they haven't done it before or because of whatever. But people who are really nervous and you can get things to a point where you know that they're having fun. Um, you know, like what a great triumph, you know, because you can uh, ultimately um, your job is to uh, your job is to is to give them an album that they can be really proud of ultimately, you know, because their taste might be different to yours. You might not like the music, but if if you can give them something at the end of the day that they're really um, it's not that they're happy with, but they're, they're really proud of. It's like, you know what, I I didn't think I could sound this good. Um, that's job well done, and that's that's incredibly gratifying. You know, it's it's like I, I really like teaching. I, I like I really like teaching for the same reason that you can. Um, and I I, use, I I particularly like teaching adults because they they are so aware of the advances that they've made once they've made them. Yeah. You know, like like I, I, I the don't improvement, think the, you know. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like like they can they can gauge really intimately, I couldn't do this before and somehow at the end of this process now I can and what a great achievement. I don't think kids really <laughs> I don't think they're as self aware as that, you know. Um it's like, oh yeah, well I learnt this just the same as I've, you know, le- learned about trigonometry. I didn't know it before, and now I do. You know, uh-huh. that's um, what kids do. We, yeah, we learn yeah. shit. This is what we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but for adults, it's a, that's a different thing. You yeah. Know? Well, also, uh, you know, I, I'd imagine. I, I'm, again, I'm just um, uh, uh, making this up, but <laughs> um, I'd imagine for adults, speaking from my own experience, just that you know, the more life history and experience you bring to the moment that you're in when you're learning something um i don't know the sweeter it is the more the yeah the more value you can attach to it you know how hard one it is you know yeah you also yeah. know how Absolutely. ephemeral it is and, yeah yeah um when i was thinking there about about you know when you were really um when you were really going through periods where you were really ill and um well, sorry, this is slightly left field. I'll just no, say this. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with the David Lynch film, The Straight Story. No, and that would okay. be a rare David Lynch film I don't know. All right, so it's it's the sort of outlier in his in his canon. Um, it's the story of, a, of an old man who's dying and he drives a, a lawnmower across the state of Iowa to go and visit his brother who's also dying. And, um, and it's... Uh, it, it, it was a film that I, I watched first not long after my dad died and it just always mm. stayed with me and it's it's just beautiful. Parts of it are stunningly uh, realised. But anyway, there's a bit in there where he talks about just being all these, this character he's talking about. And uh, he says, you know, you should think about dying when you're young, you know, because... Mm. And, 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 and that that just makes me think of um, what what you're talking about there with uh, with an older person who's learning something you know they you know the older you get the more you know that you're not here forever yeah 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 you've got this moment you can you can hold on to it and 
there's something beautiful with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. And I also think the, um, the older you get, achievements are much harder to come by. Do you know what I mean? Like you finish school, that's an achievement. Every subject is an achievement. You finish school, you finish university, you get your first job, you get your promotion, you get your whatever, whatever, whatever. But there does come a point in time where, you know, uh, where your like where your achievements like the 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 range that are possible of achievements actually kind of you know like it's pretty thin thin pickings you know <laughs> where it's not where it's not kind of in relation to um uh you know your achievements get kind of realized indirectly like my kid graduated or my first grandkid or, or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I should preface that by saying a lot of the people who were, who I'm kind of referring to are people who are thinking about retirement and want to start learning an instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of, you know, 55 to 65 sort of age bracket, they're wonderful to teach for, for that, you know. Yeah, but you're, you're exactly right about that as well, that the, um, the achievements that, um, mean so much to you at certain points in your life when you're younger. Um, once they're past you and they're in the rearview mirror, they, you know, much like many of the disappointments, they don't seem so. They don't seem so big a deal, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I could keep going on like this for another couple of hours. Yeah, go on. <laughs> um, I'm not doing anything. Uh, <laughs> would you? Uh, would you fancy doing another tune? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let me think now. Um, oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, I'll play a Scottish tune. Um, uh, yeah, a, um, a retreat march. Talking about the rearview mirror. Uh, this is called the Battle of the Somme. Um, uh, yeah, I always like the idea that the... the um, the retreat marches, you know, that are named after, I mean, it's a retreat, you know, from a battle. Um, but they're always like the most gloriously beautiful things, uh, like as melodies. But you can't help but kind of hear them with extreme sadness, you know. Um Thank you. 
seems like a, a natural place to to end things. I mean, this has been so great talking to you, Luke. Good. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Thanks for the uh, for the opportunity. Uh, so kind of you to take the time and to really uh, walk <laughs> me through the the experiences that you've yeah. had. So thank you. We didn't even get to the to making the Andy record. I mean. <laughs> So uh, yeah, the the album uh, Precious Heroes. I, I don't know where to start with that. I mean, I'd love to talk about that. I'd, I'd like to talk about touring with them too. But um, but but the, but it is about you. This is about you, not not Andy. So how how was it? How, how what was how was it touring? Uh, yeah, in, in um, I get along with him really well. I mean, really well, and uh, we actually met at at. Um, at Zookfest in uh, in New Mexico, that that's not true. We 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 met, kind of, um, you know, he did a gig with Rents in in Hobart, and I said g'day afterwards, and there was a big session afterwards, and he kind of loitered around and said, "Oh, great playing," um, and then met when Mosaic came out again. Oh, hi Andy. Oh, hi. You know, um, you know, Rents has been blah 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 blah. You know, um, that sort of thing. Um, I think I, um, Renz van der Zand, the, the, yeah. Um, and then, uh, I met him in, saw him in Milwaukee with Patrick Street and hung out a bit in, um, in Edinburgh, um, but, but didn't really kind of properly spend time until, um, he came and was a tutor at, at, um, at this, uh, world music festival camp, like a music camp, but centered around the bazooki and Irish music. Um, and I was teaching, I'd done the Planksy transcriptions for side A of the Black Album. So I was teaching that. And then... Um, when you say you did the transcriptions, you mean you literally just... I, I wrote out the mandolin right. and bazooki parts. <clears throat> um, and, uh, and so it was the Sound of 16 Strings, the Planksy Black Album, side A. And the following year I did side B. Anyway, he... Um, uh, and the, but then Andy's Andy's teaching at the same thing, you know, and and the little rotter came and hung out at the back of the class. Like, can you imagine? So you're teaching his, you know, and teaching I'm, his I'm arrangements. Kind of, and... I'm teaching his, yeah, his arrangements from forty years <laughs> earlier. You know, um, he was really cool though. He was really cool about it. And at the end, he kind of got up and and we did we played Arthur McBride together. And um, and I, I, you know, I was Donald for five right. minutes. Um, and he, yeah, he he was, um, he was really complimentary about a lot of stuff, and um, and kind of floated the oh, we should, you know, we should do this again, you know, um, and uh, and then I, he, then he got in touch with me and said, uh, I'm in I'm in Melbourne. Are you around this week? I said no. I'm in Scotland. You know, um, it was a and one of the times I'd gone back over to play the last times I'd gone back over. He said, Oh, so, you know, sorry to miss you. I said, we, we, we should, we should catch up again. And, and, you know, we, we should, we should sit down and have a play sometime. And then he, and then he wrote, you know, this is texting and he wrote, and I get this text back. Damn straight. We should. Why don't we make an album? Right. I was like, Oh, you know, kind of, ha ha, 
yeah, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> you know, whatever non-committal <laughs> kind of. <laughs> He's like, yeah. So why don't I come over? I've got a, pat- a batch of time in August. I'll come over and then we can book it. You know, book some gigs for the following January. Um, like literally like that. Uh, and this was in uh, what and year? Then he was came, that tw- uh, twenty. So th- this was twenty sixteen. I remember, I mean, yeah, it was 2016 because um, we booked it all in. He was going to come over for seven days to record. And um, two weeks before he arrived, Angus got, you know, was given six weeks to live. Angus from the from the band, right. you know, like soul, you know, soul brother kind of vibe. And, and, and then, you know, it's like. I wrote to him, I said, you know, I want to come over, but I'm supposed to be recording record with Andy's like, don't you dig it on that plane. <laughs> um, you know, like we, we, we were we were Andy fans together in the band. Um, anyway, uh, so he arrived, Andy arrives and uh, um, he like arrived on the, on the Tuesday or something. He was ready to record at 9am the next morning and he worked 9am till 6 with a half hour for lunch. For seven days straight, um, and recorded all the bazooka parts, all the harmonica parts, all the vocal parts. Um, never seen anybody work like it, you know. At kind of however old he is, you yeah. Know? I mean, like he's he's old, like um, just incredible. And um, yeah, and then uh, uh, you know, I. I worked on all of all of my parts. Um, it got mixed, um, and then we toured it in January, twenty seventeen. Then did it. He wanted some revisions done because he had nothing to do, literally nothing to do with it after that week. Um, so there were a couple of things he wanted to to redo. He retweaked those, and then we did the the March trip again, um, right, twenty eighteen, right. which yeah. you would have seen. Yeah, and and on the road, you know, like just um, solid, just solid worker. Yeah. You know, we 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 talked a lot about politics, a lot about um, uh, music, and a lot about a lot about history. But, I mean, you know, like what a great dude to to hang and, out and with. He <laughs> he um he has that song, uh, "Never Tire of the Road," you know, um. What am I trying to say here? Um, with him in particular, for some reason, uh, I just have a sense of like you know that that it it's just been this long journey. And I don't know. How, I don't know how else to put it. I, sorry, that's not saying anything. But I just no, no. I I I understand. I um I used to go into bat for Andy a lot, um because. You know, Wiley's Wiley's this kind of revered elder statesman of the Irish music scene, somewhat now. Um, yeah. When I was like, there were twenty people came to see him in nineteen ninety eight. Um, he went on radio, uh, and uh, with, with like my a friend of mine who was organising some stuff with him um, down here. Uh, Went to put him on the radio, and the announcer came out and said, "So, which one of you is Andy?" <laughs> 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 I 
yeah. you know, like that would have gone down like a cup of cold sick. Um, you know, like I and and you know that like I I had I had cassette tapes of the first incarnation of of Mosaic in nineteen seventy. Well, maybe it was the eighties. I think it was. I think it was late seventies though. Christian Donald went off to do Moving Hearts, and Andy got um, Hans Thessink. I think I don't know if that's how you say his name. Um, Declan Masterson, um, and and uh, Marta Sebastian, and there were a couple of other people. Anyway, it was like a pan-European band called Mosaic, and I I I had a cassette of from a friend of mine who. Um, who'd seen them and was like, he's so far ahead of his time. Um, and East Wind, you know, flopped and then Bill Whelan made Riverdance. Like I, I, I bought the East Wind thing because the, the first record I ever made was of all Balkan music. Because, um, you know, I was asked to play mandolin and bazooki in a, in a band and they did that stuff and I was, you know, deep in my, I am going to, Retrace the steps of Andy and try it. <laughs> so I'm, I, you know, I would have been 19 years old and um, and made a record of all, you know, music from kind of Macedonia and East, um, and uh, yeah. So I bought East Wind, and on the on the ticket of East Wind, it was East Wind, Andy Irvin, um, Davy Spillane, huge sticker obliterating most of the front cover. Featuring Bill Whelan from Riverdance and the Riverdance band, and listed all the other members of the band except Andy. Like, um, and, and it was kind of that album. That album's incredible, but okay, they weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for for Mosaic. Um, and he, you know, he he never did. Don't forget your toothbrush if you want to go to work. Like, so he, him, him and Dick Gocken actually are the same. They're just um, complete devotees to the thing of we're going to go out and play because it needs to be done and the stories need to be told and, you know, this music is for ordinary people and blah, 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 blah. Like, they're just so hardcore troopers. It's phenomenal. That's, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned Dick Gochen as well because he would be another one that I would have absolutely and there are a certain uncompromising yeah brutal um <laughs> integrity about yeah. <laughs> like a brutal yeah. integrity you know um yeah absolutely I, I i booked andy irvin on um public radio when i was working in seattle i was actually in seattle uh working the public radio around the time when you were passing through on your really 2010 trip. yeah 2010 yeah, wow. yeah. and uh I, I I booked Andy on the on the show and I was um, I was trying to explain to the host of the show who's a good mate of mine you know I was he was like who is this guy he's you know he's playing in the back of a music shop tonight you know that's his gig and I said like he's this um, not quite an unacknowledged legend but he's there's there's he always seemed to me like Christie had the superstar gig. Donald Lunny had the incredible lasting influence on Irish music. Liam has the Liam O'Flynn has the traditional anchor yeah. of the whole thing. Elder incredible. statesman, and then, yep. and and I don't know how how 
I guess I'm just saying the same as you. I always felt like he was somewhat not neglected, not forgotten, but just maybe just harder to pin down exactly what it was. Yeah. The the I remember you asked me this actually um, earlier. What was it about about that thing? And I said, well, first of all, it was the sound. Um, the you know the sound of the of the of the instruments. The other thing, and I think this is really. Um, you know, because the sound of the instruments is is Donal as well. Um, but there, there's um, and 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 this ties in with making the album. Um, I don't want to sound disparaging, and I'm and I'm not disparaging at all. I have huge respect for Donal Lunny. Um, it's actually quite straightforward when you you know when you want to pick things apart, trying to understand what he's doing is a lot more straightforward. Um, it's kind of chords, it's straight counter melody, or just I'm doing a run, you know, digga, 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 chord, digga, 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 chord. Um, so movement and chords and harmony. Yeah. But Andy, there are lines that Andy plays that... Um, that don't that that don't seem to don't seem to come from like you can see why why they work in the context of the music, but understanding why you would make that choice um, is something that's completely baffling to me, <laughs> and and it, like genuinely, um, and and it's it's um, what what I what I what I um. The way that I've described it to people is that um, he he hears melody in a very different way to uh, to most other people. Um, it's like um, uh, it's like the guy actually, um, you, you know, the the guy that that wrote Ave Maria. Gounod or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah, wrote, wrote Ave yeah. Maria, and and he wrote it. He wrote it for Bach's Prelude Number no. One in C. So, the Prelude is da 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 yeah, of course, that's beautiful. It's like Bach wrote the, you know, the backing track for him, and I, and I think there's an element of that sort of, you know, magic or whatever about um, about Andy that there's the there's the chords, there's the melody, and then there's what he's going to play, and what he's going to play is, you know, like how he how he hears it is is really unique. Um, and they're beautiful lines. Um, uh, um, I mean, I, like I, I've, I've done, <laughs> I've done week long music camps on this stuff. <laughs> um, but but it, it's, I mean, it's staggering. It's staggering the the musicality of it. That um, that. Uh, and yet there's this. That, and yet there's just, this leap, right? There's a leap that that he makes that no one else would make. Yeah, yeah. To to um, what I mean by musicality of it is there's a leap to something else that could exist completely on its own, 
and you would look at it and listen to it and say, that is just that is just beautiful. Um, it's like all the steps in between to you know. Um, if you could name, it's like could, it's like he has inspiration. If you could, you know? if you could name one little segment where that where as an example of that, where where would it be like? Um, uh, well, the one that I teach. I mean, there, there's there's loads, yeah. but the one that I teach. You know, as the Christie's as I roved out. Yeah. yeah. So Donald plays it, basically just plays the um, the melody the first time. He plays a kind of a harmony line the second time. And he comes in. You know, the melancholy. Um um, but also the the harmonic. I, I don't have the language for this, but the harmonic positioning of that just sounds completely. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then yeah, and then no, and then you get, get this it. line. Um, so. Um, you know, like like. Uh, there's yeah. something. Um, I mean, it's rock and roll to start with. You know, like, um, like total rock and roll after these kind of really, um, really melancholy um, lines. I, I, um, uh, that's the one I that I teach. That it's like there's 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 nothing about those little bits that are. Um, that are related to the tune, that are related to the harmony of the tune, that are related to just joining one chord to the next. Like they are definite um, musical ideas. There's something something else very very different going on. Um, uh, well, I, I think I think um, what I'd point to is all of the um, uh, oh well this. You know, Autumn Gold off the Paul the Paul Brady record, the the instrumentals in that are composed pieces. You know, do you know uh, on that album, um, like there there are so many there are so many um, points on it that are incredible. But the, there's one that's always stuck with me. There's a, just one little thing in Martin Miss Time, um, the first time round when they do the instrumental, and there's a little skip. They do a diddly idle dum. And they only do it once, and it's fucking brilliant. It's just yeah, like, yeah. That yeah. is that's it's. I mean, everything else is great, but that one little skip just takes it to a whole other place. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the fact that they don't do it again, it's just yeah. this one yeah. time around. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh. Um, I, I uh, on 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 Precious Heroes, he had um, he had lyrics to a song, and he asked me to write the music for the song. Um, the Neve and Oshin mm-hmm. um, piece. Um, so he showed up uh, and I gave him the music and we played through and he learnt the music. And then I saw firsthand, you know, like, okay, here's a piece of music, Andy. You do your thing. And 
and his line again, you know, yep, I can, I understand how it works, and 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 why, um, but it but it's it's lines, and I can't even bring it to mind, um, you know, yeah. what he plays right at the moment, but um, they're lines that that are kind of, um, they're only they're only him, and that and that's something else. It's not just that he does left field stuff, you know, like he can play weird, you know. A weird part, but he's a he's a really. Um, I think I think there's something that I really identify with with him is the beauty in in sadness. Um, uh, th- like th- there's there's something there's something just really, um, really beautiful about understanding um, melancholy. You know, well, that really comes over again and again and again in his songs. Like you can, yeah, you, you can't. Autumn Gold, West Coast of Clare. You know, Vanessa's Green Glade. You know, um, it's uh, the, the the it's the uh, um, it's the look over the shoulder. You know, it's um, yeah, it's it's absolutely there. Um, so much. Uh, you know, um, O'Donoghue's the, the song O'Donoghue's yeah. as well. Like, um, I mean, that one, even that has a has a melancholy about it because yeah. it's it's like this, um, and and I think that is, I have to say that like, that that is a masterpiece of compression storytelling. That is, yeah, like, yeah, it's incredible, it's so incredible, and just his cataloging of a scene at a particular time, this scene in Dublin at a particular time, him as a young guy seeing the blueprint of his life laid out before him. Yeah, I know. Just, uh, you know, and he he wrote it late in life, right? So it's kind of this, so he's remembering being young and looking forward and it's just, oh, it's it's really something else. Yeah, and it's, it's there's melancholy in there for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And and that's what I was going to say that, even though the, even though it's um even though it's it's kind of oh gee you know that's that's way out there it's immediately identifiable like like it's a it's a um if you're talking about it you know in terms of a compositional voice that is immediately identifiable you know like he he played he played um he guested on a track for Kate and Ruth um on one of their records and you know, as soon as the as soon as it comes in, it's like, yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's the sound of Andy. Um, I feel like it, I would it, recognize his heart playing anywhere. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Like incredible. Yeah. Shall we go on? Uh, James Connolly, the chords of James Connolly. Yeah. Um, that uh, I find those chords just that's a that's another just yeah absolutely brilliant song. It, beautiful yeah. yeah 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 it's this it's, is going to be um, our little andy irvin appendix episode you know yeah it's yeah totally <laughs> oh well i'll settle in <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah i i uh i mean i i i hadn't i i had the the record that's that's off um off the one that uh, way out yonder isn't it yeah i think so yeah. yeah yeah i i had a copy of that i hadn't listened to it in a long time and uh, for that second tour, he said, "Let's do. I'd like to do James Connolly." Um, he had a bunch of other songs as well that were half written that we were going to record, actually, which were also awesome. 
um, like just, I mean, he's he's such a good, uh, yeah, condensed storytelling, such a good way of describing it. Um, you know, to be able to capture not just his life, but um, lots of historical lives. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. The, um, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, he he's. Uh, um, well, one thing one thing that 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 I I watched when when he was working on the um, uh, on the Neve and Oshin song was okay. Here's the here's the ba- the basis of it. Um, now, what can we do here? You know, and then constantly. Now, what can we do here? Now we can change this up here. Now, what can we do here? Well, what do we, we try? Like, it's not, it's not actually, um, uh, like, I've got classical background um, and I've, I've written, you know, I've written music for orchestras and, and whatever else. So I understand harmony and understand arranging. Um, and Andy, I think, is a great example of if you're inspired enough, it's better not to, not to have that because it's you know because you go for, you go for conventions, um, and I think he he really does treat uh, the arrangement of songs like searching you know, like I've got I've got this, I've got I've got a kind of a sound or a kind of a, a an emotional whatever that I want to get out of this little passage, and I'm going to keep on working to working on it until I've got that, until I've I've nailed that little that bit, you know. I, I love that notion of a search. Yeah, there's a great there's a great quote from from uh, my my dad told me this. Um, there's an American painter Albert Pinkham Ryder, um, and uh, and he said that the artist is like a blind caterpillar at the end of a leaf, reaching out into the darkness. You know, <laughs> great. Like there, there there may be another leaf there. You know, but but that's not the point. You know, yeah. and, and and it's a great image. Like you, you've seen them. You know, the kind of absolutely arch yeah. out. You know, and kind of reaching around, yeah. trying to find something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really listen, I really get that with him. You know, thank you for um, thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. brilliant. Do Do you want to do one more tune? Would you mind? Yeah, I I can do awesome. I can do your tune. Thank you. <clears throat> I'll do one. Um, a favourite set of mine. Um, yeah, set of reels um, uh, that are off my album. <laughs> um, the uh, the corner house, ladies' pantalettes, and the bird in the bush.
Planksy Bingo would have been uh, an easy, an easy, <laughs> an easy win. win this week. I know <laughs> we haven't I played Planksy Bingo in a, in a in a while. No, we haven't. I, so I, what I find really illuminating there was just something that I hadn't managed to kind of put words around before, which Luke did there in his in his demo, which was just that that there's an imaginative leap happens in the playing of somebody like Andy Irvin that um, is apart from the technique of being able to do it is just the instinct to go somewhere that mm-hmm. nobody else would go um, is is just a key part of what makes him such an innovator. Yeah. That and the fact that he works at it, as you, as you heard Luke say there about the recording session, just in in the morning, works all day, finishes in the evening, comes in the next day, works again all day, just yeah. eight hours, you know, so... Pretty amazing and fantastic playing from Luke Plum. So Luke, thank you again for just being so generous with your time. That was a really, I felt like I went on a long journey and it was just so much fun and I felt so enriched by the end of it. So thank you. Thank you, mate. Look, with that, thank you so much to our patrons. Um, You don't get any ads in there. We, we, We deliberately haven't gone the advertising route and that's only possible because of you. And if you're one of the 90% who of our listeners who are listening and you're not yet a patron please 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 if you can possibly do it go over to patreon.com forward slash barney pilgrims and become a patron because that's what will enable us to keep this going that's it's pretty pretty simple we said before we say it again it's always going to be free and we understand there's going to be people that can't afford it i listen to podcasts that i can't afford to listen to so i'm part of the problem as well as the solution but um look there are other ways and i'm telling you that the thing that helps so much is to share us around if you if there's somebody or a group that you're part of that you that you know of that you think would enjoy what we do or if there's someone you think we should interview get in contact share our episode around subscribe leave us a review itunes will like us a little bit more if we have more subscribers more reviews all that kind of stuff that stuff really helps so if you can't afford it no worries do that if you can't do that just enjoy (laughs) alright we're done thanks again Luke Plum thanks Luke hi my name is Rosa please become a subscriber to the podcast thank you